Good morning. Welcome to the Backyard Professor Sunday Morning Podcast. I have some uh, interesting ideas to share today. <clears throat> Let me wet my whistle. I love purified water, I'm just saying. It's amazing we live in an age where we have to purify our water, but such is the case. Uh, I have been working at producing an incredible series of videos. I'm really hoping I have not bit off more than I can chew, but uh, I've been working hard at preparing videos. You know by now that <clears throat> I am one who desires to have reality. Let, let's let's get to the truth. No more buffaloing and, and uh, arguing back and forth, trying to create faithful narratives, regardless of which subject that we uh, begin or that we wade through, be it historical, be it philosophical, uh, scientific, or religious. It doesn't matter. You know me by now that I do take to task Mormon leaders and Mormon apologists because of my being raised one for warping the truth, what I would consider warping the truth. Now, I understand I'm fallible and I might have to uh, reassess my own stance. Well, it's not only the Mormons, it's not only religion that I am finding this issue of bias so rampant right now. I also find it in science and the scientists, and especially in the areas of evolution and cosmology and chemistry. They're just our problem is John Q. Public is we don't get the information of the serious straining issues going on in science right now. There are serious problems with Darwinian evolution. You don't have to like that. It doesn't matter. But these are not religious or historical people who are bringing this out. It is the inside scientists themselves who say there are fatal problems with the neo-Darwinian evolutionary hypothesis. And it's the biases of the evolutionists who continue to publish materials for the public consumption who want to smooth over the fact that there are now many movements to change the paradigm. And of course, our school textbooks are 20 years behind the times. We're well aware of that. We get that. Yes. So the children are not going to learn that evolutionary paradigms proposed by neo-Darwinisms and the new atheist regime. I'm going to call them that because that's how they love to act. You know, they want to call themselves brights. Uh, so many of the current cosmologists have now proposed, as I shared in that new science book by uh, Hassenfelder on Lost in Math uh, last week in my video, the scientists are getting to the point where they say, well, our ideas don't need to be tested because they're so good. Uh, 
And just this morning, in preparing a new series of videos that I'm working on right now for you, because I want to give you the best information that I am capable of doing it, but I am only one person. But, uh, oh, hey, I better say welcome. Hey, Debbie Joe, thank you for sure. Heidi Christensen, hello. Good morning, you guys. So the thing is, I was just reading in Stephen Jay Gould's preparing for a new discussion video that I'm trying to make nice. I don't have the technological know-how just yet, but I am changing that. Uh, I was reading in Stephen Jay Gould, I Have Landed. This was a 2002 book. This was one of the last ones that he wrote before he died. He mentions this, and I'll just give you a quick sentence to give you the flavor of even a paleontologist who obviously was one of the creators of the neo-Darwinist paradigms with his punctuated equilibrium with Niles Eldridge. And yes, I have his absolutely ridiculously gorgeous behemoth of a text on the structure of evolutionary theory. This was his final parting shot 2002, the Belknap Press at Harvard University. Abs I have not had a chance to read it completely through. I have been working on it somewhat. You can see some tabs. But his idea of punctuated equilibrium. Of course, the orthodox scientists in their bias says, and they make sure we public see the interpretation that, oh, this isn't an attack against evolution. This doesn't threaten evolution. We're just working out all the kinks. More and more scientists have come out and said that is even a bias. Uh, the neo-Darwinian evolutionary scheme does not work mathematically, philosophically, or empirically with the evidence. That's what I'm kind of working toward with some new videos of mine. Let me just read a quick idea on the theme of bias, because this is going to directly relate to my talk this morning on the problems that we've seen at General Conference this last week. Science, this is in I Have Landed, page 182, for those of you who are interested and have the book. Scientific ideas in their history of growth and development may also be stymied by superannuated beliefs and traditions. Notice he is commenting on scientific ideas here, and he is certainly one of the scientific paleontologists. He says, the intellectual luggage that should be checked at the door is our biases, beliefs, and traditions. And yet we're not finding that in today's current scientists. He's, he wrote this 20 years ago, and it's being ignored. Here's another one on page 360. An old tradition in science proclaims that changes in theory must be driven by observation. So, since most scientists believe this simplistic formula, they assume that their own shifts in their own shifts in interpretation. Now, here's how today's scientists are thinking. Yes, we need to have observations. However, their own shifts in interpretation, only record their better understanding of the facts. And so scientists, therefore, tend to be unaware of their own mental impositions upon the world's messy and ambiguous factuality. In other words, 
they're blind to their own bias. And we see that over and over and over again as more and more scientists, mathematicians, chemists are coming out and showing the problems with the reigning scientific paradigm, especially the false paradigm of the war between science and religion. Stephen Jay Gould spoke out against it many times. There are several of others, and that is my next video taking on some scientific biases that I'm going to discuss. Hopefully I'll get it up this week. We'll see. And finally, here is Stephen Jay Gould on page 378. And then we'll get to tackling Bednar. David, I am scripture Bednar. Yes. When I wrote The Mismeasure of Man, published in 1981, I discovered that most of the major data sets presented in the name of racial ranking contained evident errors that should have been noted by their authors, that should have been noted by their authors, and would have reversed their conclusions, or at least strongly compromised the apparent strengths of their arguments. Would that atheism today would take this approach, right? Yeah. Even more interestingly, I found that those scientists usually published the raw data that allowed me to correct their errors. And this is what we're beginning to see in the paradigm shift within the sciences today, including cosmology. True story. The James Webb Telescope is either one of our best friends or our worst enemies. It depends on which bias you want to either hide or let go of or hold, right? So... Even more interestingly, I found that those scientists usually published the raw data that I could correct their errors. I therefore had to conclude that these men had not based their conclusions upon conscious fraud, for fakers try to cover up the tracks of their machinations. Rather, their errors had arisen from unconscious biases so strong and so unquestioned or even unquestionable in their system of beliefs and values, that information, now evidence to us, remained invisible to them. Fair is fair. The same phenomena of unconscious bias must also be exposed in folks we admire for sagacity, even the moral virtue of their courageous and iconoclastic conclusions. For only then can we extend an expose about beliefs we oppose into a more interesting statement about the psychology and sociology of scientific practice in general. That's enough of Stephen Jay Gould. I'll have a lot more of him uh, later on in some other videos. Now, I do want to make an announcement now that there's a few of us here. Thank you. Oh, hey, let me say hi to everybody real quick. Hey, Jay Jowlett. Oh, thank you. Hey, Mr. Natural. Tom Trails, good to see you. John Bradley, how you doing, Bubba? And Mr. Natural. Okay, good. Uh, I do want to make an announcement, and it's, hey, Mark Crispin. Yeah, Bubba! <laughs> you pull it out of me every time, John. I'm just saying. It's John, or it's uh, Mark Crispin's fault. Sorry, I called you John. I meant Mark. Um, I do have a major announcement that I would like to make that is very, very, very exciting for me. Um, I have been in touch. Uh, I had an absolutely long, wonderful conversation with Dan Vogel the other night, and he is very much interested in doing a show with me on the 
on the various subjects that he is interested in. We are planning to do a series, and we are going to be talking about Freemasonry, his approach to Freemasonry within Mormonism. We're going to be talking about the connections of Freemasonry and the Temple Endowment. We are going to be talking about the Freemasonic handshakes and perhaps what they mean, etc. cetera. Uh, we both have some various excellent materials on Freemasonry and Mormonism. Dan has more than I do, but I have the advantage of having been a Mason, and so I have some information he doesn't. We are going to put together a weekly series of discussions and interviews. I'm going to have him directly on my show. I now have StreamYard, so I'm going to use him as my guinea pig, or he's going to use me as his guinea pig to see if I know how to work this technology. And we are very excited about this. We're planning for the time being, we're planning on a series of six solid quality videos beginning next Sunday evening at 6 p.m. We will do these interviews, discussions, and he wants to have fun. He doesn't want to come across as the bad guy or the antagonist. He doesn't want to come across as the hero, and neither do I. What we're going to do is have an absolutely wonderful discussion where we present quality information for you to mull over yourselves and give us a higher educational value of truth and reality within Mormonism, truth and reality within Freemasonry, truth and reality within history, science, philosophy. Look, all of this comes together. And true, from the 1800s on, ideas, intellectual ramblings, our philosophical understandings, our historical prowess has changed. We hope for the better. We'll see. But we're going to explore and discuss uh, a lot of information on, uh, in, on, on Freemasonry and Mormonism, Yes, Drunken Reaper, that last Mormonism Live was wild. I've even got more on along those lines than RFM dug up, and that is not to disparage RFM or Cheryl Bruno in any manner whatsoever. They have done a magnificent job. That was why I wanted to interview Cheryl Bruno so uh, early on so that I could say congratulations to her on this book. I know Joe Swick very well. I know Nick Letursky very well. I know Cheryl very well. And their book to me. And this is something else that Vogel and I are going to do. We will have our disagreements and it's all good because we aren't interested in trying to convert anybody to any particular point of view. We're going to throw the information out there we're going to discuss it. We're going to have a lot of fun. Dan Vogel has a wicked sense of humor. Sometimes it's dry, but he is hilarious. Obviously, as we all are aware, he has an astonishing amount of knowledge in this subject of early Mormonism, which is very valuable for all of us to tap into, which I will begin doing. So I am very, very excited uh, about that. Um, I'm I'm just looking forward to uh, yeah, you thought you'd heard it all, Drunken Reaper. You haven't heard it all even after that Mormonism live, even though it was sensational. We will be adding much more to the information. So you won't want to miss uh, this series coming up. Like I say, for now, we're thinking it's 
it might be five, possibly six uh, get-togethers every Sunday evening, 6 p.m. That's when most people are aware of the uh, the regular. And then in the meantime, through the course of the next several weeks, I am going to be sharing the new information from the from within uh, the subject of science. Uh, there has unfortunately become a scientism approach to truth and reality, and that's got to stop. And hundreds, if not thousands of scientists are now saying it's time to gain a little bit more maturity. It's time to exercise our intellects a little better and let's get rid of some of our obvious biases because now, because of the approach of the biased scientists out there sharing their biases, not science, but sharing their biases with the public, and that is all we've been able to receive now science is getting harmed. The American public are beginning to mistrust science, not to mention religion. Well, that's going to leave us without any kind of anchors whatsoever. So now it's getting to the point to where we have to begin to address it. And that is what my series of videos on science versus religion or whatever I call it is going to address. And I will probably piss some people off, be that as it may. I like looking at all sides. I do not hold any side particularly sacred or as a sacred cow. If Mormon leaders are acting like asses, and there's one of them I'm going to be talking about today whom I am going to take to task based on information I've received this last week, David Bednar. You bet your sweet bottom button, I criticize. Because I want a betterment. They establish a higher standard. Okay, then I will hold them to a higher standard. I will do the same with historians. I will do the same with evolutionists and atheists and scientists and mathematicians. I will do the same with intelligent designers and scientific creationists and philosophers. I will explore, I will compare and contrast. This isn't about what I believe so much as we have problems in our country that are beginning to seriously divide us. That is threatening our freedom. And if that doesn't alarm you, then none of us are paying attention enough. So I'm going to try to up my game and get to that point. And if you have scientific heroes, I do. But I may be skewering some of them. Don't take that personal. If you have religious heroes, I'm going to be skewering some of them. Please don't take that personal. If you have your favorite historians whom you idolize and imagine that they tell nothing but the truth, don't take it personal if I skewer their bias, obvious, phony conclusions, right? 
This is one reason why Dan Vogel and I want to get together and share our perspectives, because there is still so much to learn, and yet we, the John Q. public, we need to begin to become more flexible. We need to begin to say, yeah, I, I will never forget as an apologist a very interesting lesson, and then I promise I will get on David Bednar. When I was on the fair email list, and it was a private email list, and there were a couple of hundred of us, well, at least a hundred of us, and we were talking along and trying to work together what kind of uh, evidences can we bring from Scripture that shows that the the Mormon doctrine of the parenthood of God, Heavenly Father, uh is so powerful and that Joseph Smith got it right. I mean, that that is how we thought as apologists, right? And so we began talking amongst ourselves on this, and one of the very prominent apologists, I honest to goodness can't remember which one, I believe it was Mike Parker, who is still heavily involved in fair. I can't remember. This is not to disparage anyone. He just simply brought up the idea. Hey, I think that the translation of Jesus in praying to God, that he actually called God daddy is phenomenal. It is the most spiritually uplifting thing I have ever read when we know that the Aramaic translates as daddy, not father. And so when we go through the scripture of the New Testament and we read about Jesus's prayers to God the Father, to his father, and he had this childlike love and simplicity and rapture and perfect connection with his daddy, because he wanted to be a good little boy. And, and he went on and on and on about that. And I spoiled all the fun. And I don't know where it is. <laughs> I have the articles still, but I got on there and I said, well, yeah, that is so spiritually uplifting and, and, and beautiful. I mean, the intimacy of father and son, the the close family connection, the desire for for having that loving connection with your daddy, etc. It's all fart in the wind. The Aramaic does not translate out as daddy. That has been soundly refuted with serious biblical scholarship into the Aramaic, the Greek, and the Hebrew. That that particular interpretation was proposed by Joachim Jeremias, a very good biblical scholar. However, he was just wrong. And I honestly can't remember which biblical scholar, it's been a long time since I've had this argument, which biblical scholar refuted it, and then another one came along, I believe it might have been James Barr, uh, and then another one came along and piled on. And then another one came along and expanded it and piled it on again. And the the guy that I was, the, well, I shared that with the whole email list. But the guy came back at me and he said, 
Oh, that is so disappointing. Are you sure? He, he, he said that can't that can't have been refuted, man. I love that image of the little boy Jesus praying, dear daddy, let this cup pass from me. Daddy, what can I, daddy, I want to do your will. I love that. It means so much to me. I mean, I have shared that in my Sunday school talks and my sacrament meeting talks, and I have taught all of that to my children and to everybody in the ward, and they really love how that jives so well with Mormon doctrine. You, you've got to be wrong, Carrie. You have to be wrong. Jesus prayed to his daddy. And so I began sharing the information with him. I said, nope, that's just wishful thinking. Then a very interesting thing happened. Kevin Barney, one of the most important importantly well-read Mormon apologist of all times, came along and said, Kerry is exactly right. He's got that right. I too have read those articles. I too have checked into the Aramaic and the Greek and all, and that is just wishful thinking. That So we cannot take that approach out there in public on the message boards and on YouTube, etc. Man, don't go there. We will get our heads kicked in. So Kerry wins this round. That's that's what I mean when I say now, and that's not going to mean I'm always correct in everything I say because I will be the first to say that that would be bunk. That's the wrong approach. But so if I end up skewering one of your favorite ideas, whether it's evolution, uh, intelligent design, scientific creationism, history, philosophy, mathematics, or whatever, Mormonism, Freemasonry, etc. Don't take it personal. Uh, and I mean, if I'm wrong, look, I'll be happy to admit it. I've actually ranted and raved against the Mormon leaders for an incident that perhaps didn't happen. And I publicly come on and apologized. I have no ego invested here. What I want to get to is reality, the truth. And if I have to skewer views that obviously are biased or just incorrect, and the person proposing that idea is too egotistical to back down or change their mind, if they're too inflexible like the oak instead of bending like the willow, and improving their own IQ and knowledge and intelligence into a more correct reality, that's not my problem. But if there is an issue, I am happy to point it out. And I'd, and of course, here we go again. Who are you to be able to do that? Not much, except a very gosh dang serious interested reader. And in my efforts to acquire my knowledge, I go to the sources a lot because Mormonism didn't teach me how to think. Mormonism didn't teach you, my audience, how to think. Mormonism taught us what to think. And we went along with that for a long time. Mormonism taught us what our testimony has to consist of. And we went along with that for a long time. You are not allowed 
to question the church leaders. When the prophet speaks, the thinking has been done. That is what we were raised with. Now we're discovering that we know how to think. That's what I'm beginning to try to share with people, and it doesn't matter which discipline. My scientific approach is, and this is unfortunate that I have to take this approach, but based on what I've been reading for the last few years, we have serious problems. When the scientist speaks, the thinking has been done, is the approach of John Q. Public because of the over-awesome authority of science. It works. It has given us a fantastic technology. All of that is well and good and recognized and seriously applauded. We're grateful for that. That does not mean their own biases and beliefs are correct, though. And too much of that has been seeping into science. Just because the evolutionist has spoken does not mean the thinking has been done. Because now they're presenting their biases as science, and that's where the concern is. Same with religion. David, David Bednar, what happened in general conference? Now, I got wind of this. This isn't my original research. I am, I am not going to plagiarize anybody when I'm discussing Bednar plagiarizing <laughs> his conference talk. No, I am not interested in that in any manner. So forget about it, man. Okay, let's take a look on the message boards. And it it was it was discovered pretty quickly, pretty much within the same day that he gave his talk. I believe it was the Saturday session. Don't quote me. I'm not worried about details at this point. Bednar was caught in a conference plagiarism. This is on the discussmormon.com message board, for those of you who haven't heard. And this was posted on Reddit pretty quickly after Bednar gave his conference discussion, where he says he actually shows, and an, an, oh, I stapled this. He actually shows... The, now, this is a talk by an obscure Christian theologian. I believe he comes out of Herbert Armstrong's Church of God. Uh, he wrote this in 2016. The red, the red part is the part that Elder Bednar apparently plagiarized. This is out of the website Bible Tools. I just printed this off for your perusal if you cared to look it up. What the Bible says about providing wedding garments for guests, and this was the this was the discussion of the wedding feast, and the guy shows up without the proper garment, etc. Bednar took that. Uh, John O. Reed. He lived from 1930 to 2016, and so this particular discussion is what Bednar stole for his conference talk. Now that's what that's the definition of plagiarism. I'm not trying to come along here with an anti-Mormon diatribe. No, that is the problem. He stole this intellectual property of this man in order to present an quote inspired discussion to convince the Mormons to stay in Mormonism and maintain their tithing to the church. Right? 
So this gets somewhat serious. So here are some of the reactions that I want to read, and then I will read the main article. Now, th this article that has this picture of Bednar, uh, don't, don't, his face isn't that spotted. I spilled water on it or my pop or whatever. This was out of the religious news services. And so this was a, a, an entire separate article, and I will get to that and read that too. But here are some of the responses. And, and I did not jump into this discussion so much. I, I basically uh, let it go for a few days, and then it began to wind up. And so I started looking at it, and I thought, you know what? This is big enough of an issue that I will present it in my live podcast. So the link to Bednar's conference talk transcript was given. It's on the church website. I have not watched yet the actual uh, presentation that Bednar gave, and, and he goes through. They highlight the part that it's largely verbatim. Was Bednar in a rush to prepare something or anything for a conference? And he simply presented John O'Reed's labors as his own. That That's one uh, approach to this whole issue. Bednar does give a sideways nod to the author of chunks of his talk. Uh, for instance, quoting Bednar, he says, Christian author John O. Reed noted that the man's refusal to wear the wedding garment exemplified blatant disrespect for both the king and his son. But that isn't proper attribution for the large swaths of Reed's work that Bednar copied and pasted into his conference address. This is lazy, it's misleading, which is defined in the church as dishonesty. So that's one response. And then another gentleman comes on and he says, does the John Reed material have proper footnotes? It may be more interesting to know where his ideas came from, because I miss seeing footnotes or any explanation of sources in the article. Uh, plausibly reprocessed and reworked material with an unknown actual source. So, I mean, where did this idea of sending out wedding garments come from, for instance? Sometimes I get the feeling that religious explanations and inspirational messages and stories get reborrowed over and over and over again until attribution becomes rather absurd. And I thought, well, now that's a pretty good point. That, that's true. Unfortunately, this is how religion acts with everybody else's really cool ideas. We find the same problem in all other disciplines, though. Lest you think I am just specifically picking on religion in a biased manner, I am also going to begin picking on philosophers and scientists in the same way. So just hang in there with me. And I have many, many new materials I'm working on getting out here. It seems like we're in an age to where everybody has gotten to the point to where they're lying to everybody else about everything they think is truth and reality, and it's getting a little bit tricky. So we need to learn how to think. I'm going to illustrate to you in this podcast right here, right now, how to think, not what to think. What I have done is 
I have gone to Bednar's address and I've read it. I have gone to the website that discusses some of the reactions. And then I went and I got the actual article out of the religion news. And I'm reading and I've read that. We go to the sources. I'm going to do the same thing with the science and evolutionist biases as well. There's some new history interpretations that are entirely misleading on the war idea between science and religion. It's things like that that I want to share. I'm doing this with David Bednar right now. He apparently really did lazily plagiarize, and that's so unfortunate. And then here's someone else's response. Well, next conference, they'll just be reading straight from the Evangelical American Family Radio Lectures. <laughs> they may as well. It'll save them time standing up in front of the pulpit, you know. <laughs> and then someone else says, this story may have legs, and they share the link to this article here, which I will get to out of the religious news. Now, it's really interesting how one of the Mormons on one of the pro-Mormon message boards, which used to be the fair message boards, they've since divested themselves of it, which was probably one of the smarter moves they've ever done. And now, so I, and I think this is Mormonism discussion instead of discuss Mormonism, the Mormonism discussion board. Here is what one of the damage control pro-Mormons says about David Bednar plagiarizing. Well, I think, oh, now here is what the gentleman who put the Reddit article on, Graham P. Smith, here is what he wrote. This is the discussion between him and a Mormon apologist. So Graham Smith first says, I think that the evidence is that Bednar knew that he was plagiarizing. And the reason why, now see, notice, this gentleman, Graham Smith, he knows how to think by actually analyzing the evidence, right? I, I'm not trying to be sarcastic or a smart aleck when I say this. We have been taught what to think. We need to practice learning how to think, and this is a great example. Here's what he did to come to that conclusion that the evidence is that Bednar knew he was plagiarizing because he changes some of the sentences to read a little more polished than the original. Also note that while the church's printed version now uses quotation marks, those marks were not there yesterday when I took screenshots of the published version and the footnotes. Uh-oh. In addition, there was only one footnote to the original author yesterday. Today, there are many footnotes. These facts give the lie to the church spokesperson, Doug Anderson's spin that the original author was quoted and referenced on multiple occasions in footnotes. The changes also show that the church has recognized that the original presentation was not appropriate. Ouch. So, note that after the fact quotations and citations do not change plagiarism into non-plagiarism. That's really important for us, John Q. Public, to keep in mind.
So any plagiarized use of material can be dressed up later with quotations, marks, and citations. Missing portions can always be added later by ellipses and additions by square brackets. Now that's very interesting, isn't it? Well, here is what the apologist said. Well, when I took screenshots of the published version and the footnotes, he asks the critic, do you have the screenshots? Now, excellent point. You see, the critic makes a claim, so the Mormon apologist says, well, where's the evidence? Do you have it? That's entirely appropriate. I cannot argue with that approach. And the response, oh, oh, and then this is still the uh, the Mormon apology. It's hard to see who he's attributing quotations to. Of course, this raises the question about what the point is. If everyone is worried that Reed wasn't being properly attributed, then doesn't adding the footnotes solve the problem and make everybody happy if they were originally missing in the printed version? You notice what the apologist is saying? <laughs> oh. He's properly attributed now, and he will be for years to come, as the online version of the talk remains as the final record of what Bednar said. And then Graham Smith said, yes, I do have the screenshots. The problem is that the changes weren't made until after Bednar was caught. There's the issue. Absolutely so. Yeah. So Sign Pro says, cool. Can you share the screenshots? I'd be curious to see them. Graham Smith says, yep, I just posted them here on Reddit. I also posted the screenshots yesterday before the changes were made. And so here's what Sign Pro says. Here's the printed version of the talk. Is there anything that isn't properly footnoted now? <laughs> Footnotes 12, 15, 16, 18, and 19 cite the read article. But of course they do. Once you got caught with your pants down and your little pee-pee out in the whack, you have to make up for the stealing by hiding the fact by adding it later. There are also a few other books that are footnoted, but not explicitly called out in the talk. He doesn't specifically mention where all the read sections are from. Is that the problem? Is that the problem? Now here, <laughs> in my take, we see the Mormon apologist trying to be coy, and it just falls flat, right? I mean, come on, cowboy. So Graham Smith says the printed version was changed after the plagiarism became known and he has the before shot and the after shot to demonstrate that. The critic wins the day here. <laughs> and the lame attempt to try to help out poor I am scripture brother Bednar really fails, right? Because that doesn't get rid of the dishonesty. It tries to cover up the sin. 
And that's something Mormonism tells all of its members. No, 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 don't do that. You have to confess your sins and you have to repent of your sins. So I wonder when we're going to see David Bednar stand up in public and confess his sin of plagiarism and repent of it. Like, never. <laughs> yeah, we all know that's never going to happen, right? So we're talking hypocrites central out of Salt Lake City during the most important revelatory time that Jesus talks to his apostles. Okay, here's another response. So this seems to be the sequence of events. So let's not jump to conclusions here. Let's double check. Let's recheck. Okay, what happened at General Conference with Elder Bednar? That's what we want to explore. So this is what we see so far. Number one, Bednar gives a talk at conference, and this includes huge swaths of someone else's words, thoughts, and opinions, often verbatim, but presents that work as his own. Number two, the church publishes the talk. Number three, Bednar's plagiarism is spotted, and then it's publicized within discussion forums, and it's picked up and it's reported on by journalists. Number four, the church quietly adds attributions to the published talk, and this makes it seem that proper attribution had been given all along. And number five, a church spokesman doubles down on Bednar's dishonesty and pretends the footnotes were always there. Do I have that right? Wow, this is getting really thick, right? So, yes, you have that right. This is the point. And another... Uh, idea is I'm interested on this you know, on two levels, the plagiarism, and then how good was the scholarship of John O. Reed, which, from my point of view, has absolutely nothing to do with this issue. The fact is, Bednar plagiarized another Christian who mingled his philosophy with scripture, and Bednar pretended like that was his own inspiration from Jesus Christ during General Conference. And now we know that that's all been an invented fake. Amazing, isn't it? Wow. So let's keep looking into this. So someone else says, I think I have the correct apologetic here. These are obviously God's words. And it took one of his anointed to figure that out and bless us with them. Otherwise, walking scripture, amazing super-duper Bednar, wouldn't have said it. I guess the real question is, will the Christian guy humble himself and confess to plagiarizing and stealing God's words? And he did it without the proper authority that Bednar obviously has as a special witness to a name. So take that anti-Mormon, always half-empty scum. <laughs> obviously, he's having fun with this issue. But it makes a powerful point, doesn't it? Very interesting, isn't it? So now here comes one of the philosophers and historians of the group. 
the plagiarism. That's what this discussion is about. That's what the issue is. So here it comes. Bednar caught in conference plagiarism. You do have the sequence of events correct. They were double-checked uh, about the five events in order. Yes, this is how the church is trying to cover up its own plagiarism blatantly produced at the singular biggest conference in the whole church. And it was an apostle of the Lord who did the stealing. He got caught, and they're trying to cover it up. And they're doing a completely lousy job of it, <laughs> which is so sad. So anyway, so here's what Graham P. Smith said. I think that the evidence is that Bednar knew he was plagiarizing. He changes some of the sentences to read a little more polished than the original. And I also note that while the church's printed version now uses quotation marks, those marks were not there yesterday. And they say now on this message board, they say, yes, this is the Daniel C. Peterson School of Plagiarism Technique and Response. Except for the polishing up, Daniel Peterson's plagiarisms have always been more polished than his personal efforts. And there is a thread on this uh, Discuss Mormonism message board that is hundreds of pages long with numerous dozens of examples where Peterson has been caught plagiarizing. So it's not just gossip. The evidence is out there for those who want to check. So now here's someone else's response. Elder Bednar is exempt from BYU's plagiarism policies. <laughs> of course, you must exempt the apostles. The church leaders never do anything wrong. Now, do they? No, of course not. So here's another response. It's the Mormon way to plagiarize Joseph Smith started with plagiarizing the Bible when he wrote the Book of Mormon. He then continued with his supposed Bible translation on attributing it to Clark and his Bible commentary. He took from Swedenborg and Thomas Dick, wrapping things up by making extensive use of masonry. Rumor has it that Jesus Christ heavily borrowed from what he and Paul would discuss when they were in the pre-existence. <laughs> Paul was pretty upset to find out that once he returned to the celestial realms. I bet if we looked at Elohim and his writings and compared them to what is in the celestial library, we would be very suspicious indeed. Living scripture Bednar is just following his plagiarizing masters. Time to give him a break and always stand when he comes into a room. <laughs> so there's some fun being had here. Yeah, and you can't help it, you know. It's it's too good to lose. So, yes, I suppose one can likely get away with plagiarizing if, after getting caught or having someone call it out, you fix it timely and offer the appropriate citations, crediting others' works while pretending the citations were there all along. But is that really the honest approach? I mean. 
I think I'd feel pretty damned foolish if someone caught me trying to pull that off. And my shame would likely only be worse if I witnessed other people defending what I did by virtue of the status they hold me to. I find this whole episode awful. Yeah, that's pretty much the sum up, right? True story, man. So, I don't think Bed on another response. I don't think Bednar is capable of the correct conduct here. This guy comes across as probably one of the most self-important apostles out there, and I would guess he doesn't believe of repenting of anything said publicly for authority's sake. What can he say anyway? Well, he should have properly attributed that part of his speech and was stupid enough not to do that. Perhaps he could blame his secretary. But he is supposed to be the living scripture. And the apostles are supposed to be hyper-inspired at conference time. Failing to do a plagiarism check and being God's inspired servant, God in embryo, don't go hand in hand easily. I'd love it if he could show a little contrition here, but I'm not going to hold my breath. I bet he has a speechwriter or writers that might be where the problem lies. Maybe the speech was a rough draft that made it through to the big guy without the red draft stamp at the top. Who knows? Maybe we will see some BYU professors demoted for some unknown reason when this dies down. Who knows? Living scripture cannot tolerate such incompetence, of course. <laughs> so that's another, that's another yet interesting approach, right? I see that now someone comes late to the party, right? And it's okay because this always happens. I see that several footnotes in the LDS Church's published texts have attribution to read. Was this done after the fact? And let's go on to the next page. And the answer is, yes, you can see the difference on archive.org. The footnoting was done after he was caught plagiarizing in both the spoken and written versions of his address. So finally, I'm getting to the end of this discussion for this first week. I'm going to keep, I'll keep in touch and see if there's any new additions. Issues remain in the revised version of Bednar's address. Reed said commentators report that the custom in those days was for the one hosting the wedding feast, in this case the king, to provide garments for the wedding guests. These wedding garments were simple, nondescript robes, robes that all attendees wore. In this way, rank or station was covered, so everyone at the feast could mingle as equals. Bednar said, the custom in those days was for the host of a wedding feast, in this parable the king, to provide garments for the wedding guests. Such wedding garments were simple, nondescript robes that all attendees wore. 
In this way, rank and station were eliminated, and everyone at the feast could mingle as equals. Well, this paragraph cites read, but some of the phrasing is verbatim and should be changed or enclosed in quotation marks. See, they still haven't properly fixed it <laughs> a week later. So this is a clever tactic. Now, here comes Radio Free Mormon, our good friend Radio Free Mormon. Here's his take on all of this. This is a clever tactic to intentionally create a plagiarism distraction from the church's current child abuse cover-up woes. <laughs> My hat's off to Elder Bednar taking one for the team. <laughs> that, that's kind of interesting way to look at it, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so here's another comment. Uh, oh, yeah, he just repeats the former comment that I just made. And then here's a comment on RFM's comment. Ha, 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 ha. Exactly. Very smooth. Yeah, Bednar taking one for the team to get the public off of the child abuse woes that Mormonism is just absolutely egg on their face everywhere, hiding and supporting and covering up their church leaders, state presidents, bishops, what have you, from abusing children sexually. And they're not required to tell anyone, you know. So the, the John Q. public Mormon can't sin, uh, but the leaders can behind closed doors one-on-one -on -one with innocent kids. I mean, that's, that's ugly. And I haven't even touched that subject because I get way too hyper emotional and angry, and I would just end up throwing a temper tantrum the likes of which you've never seen. So, and finally, here is the comment that I think makes a boatload of sense. Ah, Morgan Dean of the Interpreter Foundation. Now, this is Daniel C. Peterson's interpreter program online, whom they have kept going for several years, and it's basically the rewarmed up Mormon apologetics of the old farm school. Dan Peterson can't get apologetics out of his blood, so he's going to remain, live and die, an apologist, uh, which is vastly inferior to being an actual scholar, which is so unfortunate, but that's what he wants to do. So he believes he's strengthening people's testimonies with his ridiculous apologetic antics, so more power to him. But this is Morgan Dean, who belongs to the Interpreter Foundation. He has some very harsh things to say about Bednar's plagiarism. Plagiarism is not some obscure hang-up of college professors. A former college president, that is what David Bednar is. This apostle of the holy sacred name of Jesus used to be the president of Rick's College. For, if I remember right, either for six or seven years. So it's not like he's ignorant, right? Yeah. So this is not just an obscure hang-up of college professors. A former college president should know that on a fundamental level, plagiarism is a type of stealing because the plagiarist is taking another person's thoughts and ideas as their own. Well, that doesn't become okay if someone is 
only stealing in a religious setting. From the religious news article that everyone dismissed, and I guess the Interpreter Foundation is defending Elder Bednar, which, surprise, surprise, is not really a surprise. Questions about Bednar's remark come at a time when preachers from many backgrounds are under scrutiny for plagiarism. Alabama pastor Ed Litton, a former Southern Baptist Convention president, apologized in 2021 for using sections of a megachurch's pastor's sermon without attribution, leading to a national controversy known as Sermongate. A Christian publisher canceled a devotional book several years ago by Hillary Clinton's former pastor after learning that some of the devotions were plagiarized. I would say it's even worse for Elder Bednar because he was plagiarizing a type of stealing for a talk in his official capacity as one sent from God. I'm stunned at the people here at Interpreter who are minimizing that. And he goes on to say even more, I wanted to see if this story was being picked up anywhere. During my research, I found this quote from Elder Bednar in the plagiarism article, and then he finds another place where Elder Bednar says this, Let me be just as direct and clear as I know how to be. If you leave this university with knowledge and skills and a degree, but lacking integrity and honesty, then you have failed. And the sacred tithing from all over the earth that makes it possible for you and all of the other students to study here will have been wasted. Conversely, if during your time at BYU-Idaho, you make meaningful progress towards becoming a person of integrity and honesty, and having done your very best academically, you are considered only an average student, then you will have nonetheless succeeded magnificently. And you will be well protected against the effects of the latter-day disease of dishonesty and the epidemic of ethical failures. And this David Bednar article concluded with this paragraph about the spiritual dangers of plagiarism. Obedience to the commandments, of course, what else is he going to talk about? And covenants of God provide protection from the fiery darts of the evil one. Quotation marks and source citations protect against stealing or kidnapping someone else's ideas. And intellectual property. Most importantly, the Apostle Paul spoke of the whole armor of God and the shield of faith, showing academic integrity and expecting academic integrity behaviors in coursework will help our students keep the armor undamaged related to individual agency in writing skills. So here we have school and church officials who think plagiarism is super serious to the point that Elder Bednar calls you a dishonest and unethical failure and a waste. Yet the reaction on this board to Elder Bednar's plagiarism are more mild. And some even make jokes about calling Snopes, or they mock the concept of citing sources. Comparing the above quotes to the minimizing on this 
pro-Mormon message board, I guess plagiarism is only wrong when students at school do it. But it's no big deal when apostles of the Lord do it. And here we see what I would propose as an absolutely flawless example of the power of Mormon brainwashing on its people. The apostles can get away with anything, and the people are still going to be shoveling money in their $100 billion coffers. They still feel the Holy Spirit telling them the truth of the truth of what Elder Bednar, special witness to the Holy Name, tells them. That's pathetic, right? This is why we want to learn how to think, not just what to think, in my opinion. And again, another comment. With respect to the religious setting comment, this exchange between the religious news service and a church spokesman is very telling also. So here's some more information. In his global address this past weekend, Elder Bednar made reference to and quoted insight provided by Christian author John O. Reed, said Douglas Anderson, a church spokesman, in an email. Mr. Reed was mentioned by name and referenced on multiple occasions in footnotes. The transcript of his remarks is published for all to see. For those who would try to find fault, we would invite you to consider the spirit of his message. <laughs> I mean, these guys just don't get it, do they? For real. Religion News Services first contacted church leaders about Bednar's address on Wednesday, October 5th. At that time, the transcript had one mention of Reed and no quotation marks around the material taken from his work, according to screenshots of the transcript and an internet archive of the page. The mention of Reed appeared after several paragraphs of material lifted from Reed with no attribution. But never fear, super apostle. Censor and plagiarizer is here. Within hours, the transcript was updated with four additional footnotes linked to Reed's article, as well as quotation marks around one phrase from his work. The other material taken from Reed's writing remains in the transcript without any quotation marks. Now, more information about the spokesman's response was given later in the article. Anderson pointed out that the remote, and this is the church spokesman, right? The man who obviously is going to tell us the whole truth. Yes. Anderson pointed out that the remarks were made in a religious setting, not an academic one. Get with the program, people. It's okay to plagiarize in a religious setting, for hell's sake. Now, in an academic one, no. But here, hell yes. <laughs> it is worth noting that this was not an academic conference or a scholarly publication, but rather a pastoral sermon delivered in a religious setting, he said. 
Elder Bednar, utilize conversational language while remaining true to the source of the topic being discussed. So and here's the comment. So in one of the most important talks given in the LDS church at the most important time, I would add, a talk that will be printed in a major publication available to all LDS people the world over and which will, will urged upon members to be used in Sunday talks. Plagiarism is not a big deal because the remarks were not made in an academic or scholarly setting. <laughs> oh, the times we live in, folks. These spokesmen are in a no-win situation. Look at what the church has done to these guys. They can't ever apologize or acknowledge error, and they must come up with a justification that at all costs casts no blame on LDS leaders, which results in them looking like dishonest, immoral people with a real problem with integrity. We have several threads going on, this same strategy being offered, and the justifications are just unbelievable at times. You'd think with all the money and the resources the LDS church is hoarding, they could afford better PR at the very least. <laughs> wow. Ouch. But true. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then here's the here's the final comment. Then I'll get to this article. Uh, from the previous comment that said, "Oh yes, you can see the difference on archive.org." The footnoting was done after he was caught plagiarizing in both the spoken and the written versions of his address. And this person commented, "Ah, well that makes sense. The morgue is always rewriting history." Bingo! We have a winner. <laughs> I mean, this is brutal, isn't it? Wow. Amazing. So this comment from the Religious News Service, the title is LDS Elder, a former college president, may have plagiarized general conference talk. Elder David A. a Elder David Bednar, a former BYU-Idaho president, failed to tell listeners he was using material from an obscure religious teacher and other sources in his address. So, and I'll just get a quick, a leader of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is in the Religious News Service, October 6, 2022. You can, uh, you can find it online. Very easy. By Bob Smitana. S-M-I-E-T-A-N-A. -A. There's the gentleman that... Uh, reported this. If you want to look it up, you ought to always go to the source. See, this is how we learn how to think. So don't take my word for this. Go to the source. 
So a leader of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints appears to have plagiarized a portion of his address at a national church gathering, passing off the words of an obscure religious teacher as his own. During the church's recent conference held Saturday and Sunday, October 1st and 2nd, Elder David Bednar, a former university president and a member of the body known as the Quorum of the Twelve Cents 2004, preached to church members about a well-known New Testament parable about a king who throws a wedding on for his son, only to have none of the invited guests show up. The king sends out his servants to invite the general public to the party instead, but one of them shows up without wearing the proper attire, and he's thrown out. So, he did not dress appropriately because of his inner rebellion against the king and his instructions. He was being a rebel without a cause, and no, his name was not James Dean. What the former university, that was me, not the article. What the former university president did not tell those listening is that the interpretation of the parable was not entirely his own. Instead, his analysis was taken often word for word from a 2016 article about the parable written by John O'Reed, a leader in a little-known sect referred to as the Church of the Great God. Bednar also read several quotes from Reed and from Elder James E. Talmadge, an LDS leader who died in 1933, crediting some, but giving the impression that the ideas were his own. Footnotes to Reed's article in Talmadge's work, as well as other sources, do appear in the published version of Bednar's talk, but material from both appears without quotation marks. Perhaps we could we could offer a service to the uh LDS publishing department, we could say, hey, look, on the keyboard here, the quotation marks are over, they're right in the middle of the keyboard, and they're over on the right-hand side, right next to the return button. There are two little hashtags above. You push the shift and push that, and you can get quotation marks. Perhaps we could help them out if they really need it, and they obviously really need it. So anyway, um, they basically caught on to him and they said, this just won't do. This is the article by the Religious News Service that caused the church to hurry up and scramble quickly and hurry up and add all those extra footnotes and put, put quotations around just one sentence, not all of them. So that then they could say, well, see, it's properly attributed. Yeah, after you got caught, <laughs> you dorks. Ben Park, a scholar of Mormonism at Sam Houston State University, said Bednar's lack of proper attribution is troubling. A former university president and an influential voice in church education, said Park, should have known better. Oh, he knew better. He knew better. We all know that, right? So this is disheartening to see. It could be disheartening, but it's also enlightening if the Mormon public is willing to learn the lesson here, right? That's why people like Bill Real and Radio Free Mormon and Rami Umptum Rising and Almost Awakened Podcast and The Backyard Professor, that's why we produce these videos. Yeah. yeah, and the Dissident Daughters podcast, etc. I'm going to miss naming some of them, and they're going to get mad at me. I apologize, but 
all of the umbrella organization under Mormonism, uh, I mean, Mormon discussion, Mormonism Live with Bill Real uh, shows this. The academic honesty policy at Brigham Young University, Idaho, where Bednar was once president, warns both of intentional and unintentional plagiarism. You can't be a lazy learner, David Bednar, like this and get away with it. You really have to take care and be more careful. Unless, of course, you don't want any of the rest of the world to believe your holy special witness of a name. In which case, who cares, right? So this this is uh, this is the important theme that is so critical. And then again, Park said that the early leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints these were seen as religious innovators. They were deeply interested in matters of theology and doctrine. You know, the B. H. Roberts, the Pratt brothers. You know. Today, however, church leaders are more likely to come from business or corporate backgrounds, and they are charged with managing a church that has become global and corporate. While they are often called on to speak in public, their messages are frequently about the inspiration and morality rather than interpreting biblical texts, okay, in the modern church. Leaders have become more like bureaucrats than theologians, Park said. Boy, that's the truth. Bednar's use of Reed's article, which appeared in a magazine called Forerunner, was also puzzling to scholars. Reed was a leader in the Church of the Great God, a sectarian group that broke away from the Worldwide Church of God, founded by the late Herbert W. Armstrong, an end times radio preacher. Armstrong rejected the Trinity, and he believed in British Israelism, the idea that Anglo-Saxons were descended from the lost tribes of Israel. Reed and others who formed the Church of the Great God broke away after the worldwide Church of God began to abandon Armstrong's teachings after his death, and so, and general conference speeches receive a great deal of scrutiny. And while church leaders are expected to read and research their talks, Mason says the church talks are seen as inspired. So now we have the weird idea of inspired plagiarism, inspired lies, woohoo, inspired stealing. Yes, that's how we get over this. Use the word inspired, and then we can say anything we want. <laughs> like they say. Corporate, not moral, right? Corporate, business, not spiritual, not uplifting the personal individual. Now, they don't give a damn about any of us. They just want your money, honey. Man, if, you, if you're not seeing it that way, you ain't been paying attention, <laughs> right? So, see, there would be a sense among many members of the church that these words are given to the apostle from heaven, and yet all we find is Bednar stealing from a man who mingled his own ideas with scripture and gave us false philosophy. And Bednar got suckered by it and stole it because he thought it sounded cool. Wow. Anderson pointed out that the remark was made in a religious setting, not an academic one. And I've talked about that. 
So they're even more reluctant to admit if they have made a mistake or were careless with their words. They are just not wired to do that. In other words, you will never learn the truth from the Mormon truth tellers. That's important to come to <laughs> in our intellects. I'm telling you, right? That's why I quit being an apologist. You cannot defend the indefensible. You think you can, but it can't happen. I'm just saying. So that's the whole issue. That's the uh, that's the fiasco that has gone on and uh, continues to things of this caliber, uh, issues of this type of negative quality uh, just almost appear to be non-stop. And people are voting with their feet. And I think that's entirely proper. Of course. Of course we're going to vote with our feet. And then they come up with some hokey response such as, the rescue missions. I know. Send an apostle or two to a group of the youth in a tri-stake meeting and answer all their questions. Yeah, let's help rescue the youth. So what does the church stupidly do? They send plagiarizing liars to try to teach the historic truth to the students who were smarter and more inspired than they are, and they ask them such tough questions that the apostles prearrange getting with certain people in the audience and saying, here's the question we want you to ask. Here's the answer we'll give. You raise your hand and we'll, we'll call on you and give the appearance of being open to all questions and being willing to tell you the total truth, etc. But they prearrange so that only softball questions are allowed to be asked so that it can make them look good and intelligent and most important of all, inspired. And they wonder why they're having so many problems of credibility. But hey, They've got their money in the stock market and they've hired lawyers and stock market analysts and people who can make them rich. So there is that, right? That more than makes up for being totally phony, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, you almost get that impression of that, you know. And then, of course, Elder Oaks. I, you see, I haven't even talked about Elder Oaks. <laughs> general conference talk yet where <laughs> he's bragging oh look at how righteous we are we give so much vast amount of wealth to charity oh my goodness glory gosh god is smiling down upon us because we give so damn much money that it hurts and when it's calculated that their $4 million is less than 1% of 1% of their total wealth, you can see how stingy they really are. Now, I agree 
that they're for or 40 million. And they say over the last 40 years, we've given away $918 million or whatever it is. Even that doesn't give you 1% of 1%. But man, it sounds impressive. Whoa, you see. We give more than the widow with her widow's might. You know, you really would begin to start thinking Jesus actually did see the future. And in his prophecies and parables and all, he was talking about Salt Lake City. When you really look at it, you realize who the Pharisees and scribes and hypocrites and Sadducees are right there in Salt Lake City. They do everything that the church leaders in the New Testament do and that Jesus was excoriating. And yet they think they're Jesus's special witnesses. Oh, just to his name, though. Just to his name. Now nah, we don't have a clue what it looks like. That's irrelevant. We are special. So thee stand up for us when we enter your holy buildings. It, it, it's nonstop ridiculous and insipid, man. <laughs> Crazy beans, I'm telling you. Unfortunately, I happen to be wired such that I want truth and righteousness and spirituality, uh, not the looks of it, not the image of it. And yes, I have lots of failings. I'm not righteous. <laughs> I'm not very spiritual. I'm not very smart, but I'm trying. I make all kinds of mistakes. I'm a sinner. I will confess that. Oh, for Pete's sake. It's ridiculous how much I sin according to someone else's religious definition. So I, you may as well confess it, right? Because you're never going to get away from saying, no, I'm not a sinner. Eh, we're all sinners. Okay, now that we've got that over with, can we move on? Sure. Not if you're in the Mormon church, though. You're going to have to go through about a, a three-month to a six-year process of constantly reconfessing your sin and working on it little by little by little. But, oh, in the meantime, the best way to be forgiven is keep paying us your tithing. And through this long six-year process, yeah, they don't tell you this, but yeah, you're going to give them about ten dollars to $20,000, depending on your level of income. But... Oh, you finally, finally, oh, finally been forgiven of your sin. Don't you feel better, lighter, more spiritual? See, that was worth six years of effort to get rid of that sin. Now you're welcome to us to come to our temple, but only if you keep paying the full tithing and remain on the covenant path. I, I mean, wow. You look at stuff like that and you go, yeah, okay, good. I mean, if somebody finds that attractive, more power to them. <laughs> but we want the truth. We want to learn how to think. And that's what that's what we here at Mormon Discussion love uh, to do. All of our efforts, all of my efforts of, of, of reading all of these books and sharing this information with you is, to, is because... I was cheated in how to think, to learn how to think. 
And now that I'm somewhat learning a little more, and I am already in my ignorance, seeing a really actual big difference in the ability to make better choices, then learning how to think better is really quite important to me. And so I pass it on to you. Yeah. This is the theme. This is the theme we're working under. And it does not matter what subjects, you guys. I hold no specific subject as a sacred cow untouchable. No, that's where we always get into trouble. When we become so in awe and needing to worship a higher authority, we put something or someone on a pedestal, an idea on a pedestal, or a person on a pedestal, and that's every gosh dang time where we end up getting the short end of the stick. We have to wake up and learn how to think so that that doesn't keep occurring. That would be my approach. So anyway, hey, I have uh, I have been here long enough. I have spent the morning, and I have loved every moment of it. I hope all of you guys... Hope all of you guys, hey, Radio Free Mormon, there's my brother right there. Hope all of you guys had fun in the chat. I know you did, but uh, anyway, let's let's just keep motating. Uh, tonight, I will have some more information. And uh, don't forget, while you're all here, seriously, starting next Sunday evening, 6 p.m., Dan Vogel and I will be doing our series on all kinds of fun subjects. And uh, we're going to have a good discussion. So appreciate all of you. I love all of you. Uh, I have got to take off for now. I've got to prepare for tonight, and I've got to keep getting ready for my new series of videos, which is going to probably make more people mad than happy, and that's just what happens, because when you're deceived, not just by religion, but by any other subject, science, evolution, philosophy, history, mathematics, the economy, when you're deceived, it hurts, and the cure is to learn how to think through it so that we empower ourselves to make better decisions that do affect our lives. That's the principle. So it's all fun. Sometimes it's painful fun, <laughs> but it's all fun. And I, for one, propose I'm going to do it. You can either come with me or you can flip me off and say, dude, read between the fingers. You're an idiot nut job. See you later. It doesn't matter to me because this has nothing to do with popularity. It has to do with Hey, how can I gain a better ability to make better decisions? Because we've all been deceived, so obviously we've all made bad decisions in the past. This is why Bill Real and Radio Free Mormon keep interviewing so many interesting people on their program, Mormonism Live, on Wednesday nights, right? This is why we love that program. This is why you love the Backyard Professor program. I am also going to begin interviewing people as well as presenting you information that will give us the discrimination, that will give us the power, that will give us the chance to say no when there is a stupid idea presented as the truth. Even if a hundred million people say that that stupid interpretation of a fact or that stupid idea is the truth, we will have the ability to know how to think and be able to say no. Or on the other foot, we will be able to say yes. But we'll do it with intelligence. We will do it with 
using our brains in the art of how. That's really important. That's the empowerment. So anyway, okay, now I'm preaching. I apologize. I feel bad. Okay, you guys, I will see you tonight, six o'clock. Come back. If you don't, it's okay. It's all recorded. You can see it in the recording and the video. So, all right, you guys, hasta la vista. I will see you all soon. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for all the likes. Love all you guys. See you tonight.